All right, as we begin our time together in God's Word, uh, I invite for you to turn to Genesis 29. We will be in verses 21 through 35. We will pick up where we left off last week and continue on. I think it's important uh, as a a bit of introduction and just a note that there are some sensitive things, and so for parents who are in this room, uh, I will tread as carefully as possible. I will be very sensitive with what we have, but I'm also convinced that this is God's Word, and it speaks for all of God's people. Uh, So whether you're young or old alike, uh, this is his inspired and errant, authoritative word. We're going to see much about Jacob and his actions, what it has for uh, his brother and what his family, what it's done. So our, our text today I've titled, What Goes Around Comes Around. Now, I'm not very creative, not very clever with sermon titles in some ways, but I think that's an important thing. That you're going to see that here in our passage today, starting in verse 21. Once again, this is the holy, inspired, and errant, and authoritative word of God. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zopah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bella to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren, and Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son, and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, He has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing Please pray with me. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word. May we hear from your word this morning. Would you instruct us as a good parent does? We delight to be here, and we really hope that you will speak in and through me. May your words be much louder than my own. It is in your perfect name, through Christ, that I pray. Amen. So as I said already, what goes around comes around. There are many stories like this that we have, many things that we can think of. When we hear something like this, we can say, oh, well, maybe the first place you go to is that of Matthew 7:12, And everything due to others, what you would have them do to you. Or maybe you think in a much more sinister way and think of things going around and coming around. Now, as the weeks have unfolded, you might be a bit like I am, and I have been a bit frustrated with Jacob. 
I've had to remember the bigger narrative that I've read many times as I've, I've gone through Genesis and think about this man. It feels like he's going to get away with something. It feels like something is happening right now for this man. But I must say, what's going on, we're actually about to see, is that the chickens are coming home to roost. And the things that he has done will have consequences. So in your frustration, you might actually say, oh, at last. Or you might read this passage and you might say, oh, there's so much heaviness in this passage. Can't we just skip this passage? My heart perhaps went there at first when I realized this was the passage that we had for us today. But his word does speak, and we can see truly in this passage that the Lord is a covenant-keeping God. That the covenant that he has promised to keep in prior chapters, he will continue to do so here in this passage. As we saw in prior weeks, just two weeks ago actually, we saw that there was a journey that he was taking. He had to go to Haran. He's now made this journey to Haran. He's gone over 500 miles. He is now serving these seven years for who he believes will be Rachel. And as he's done this, why has he done this? What has driven him to do these things? Because he's in love. He's all-consuming, passionately in love. Now, our text does not explicitly say that, but we can see this as the passage unfolds with some of the language of how he speaks to his father-in-law and some of the passage of what it is that we see here before us. And for those of us who are married, you might remember back to those days when you were dating and go, oh, yes, I remember those days when I was in love. And things flew by quite quickly, even as our passage last week said, and it felt just like a few days because he had such a love for her. Now, related to this today, I really think it's important for us as we dive into the text for us to see two things. We're going to see two important truths for us today that if we look, it is going to show up for us in two different ways. One... The first is that God is faithful to make us like him even when there are consequences for sin. That first being that God is faithful to make us like him when there are consequences for sin. You're going to see that in your bulletins. If you would like to take notes, those are there for you to take notes. And two, our second thing that we'll see in verses 31 through 35, God will build his people even in dysfunction. We're going to see this very clearly, and it's really important for, I I really believe, I'm actually truly convinced that God sovereignly works in stories like this, that he is correcting and working redemption in the lives of his people despite sin, egregious sins, difficult sins. Now, you might be sitting here today, and you might be saying, hey, there's consequences for my sin in my life. Are you telling me that that's the case? I am, but I'm also telling you as we get into our passage today that we have a God who delights to extend mercy and has done so in and through the work of Christ and his cross. Now, I've been humbled and broken myself as I've spent time in this passage these last couple of weeks. And I think it's important for us, without much further uh, ado, to, to, to really to go to his word again. As we consider that first truth that we have for us today, I'm going to approach from the perspective of the life of Jacob. I think it's important for us to walk through explicitly what the text has for us. Now, as I've already mentioned, Jacob is clearly a man who is in love, and actually the first couple of verses there show so much of his passion that he has, that he has for his wife. There's a lot of debate by commentators, both Jewish and Christian commentators alike, that people tread very carefully here because it's awkward. These are an awkward couple of verses that are a little bit uncomfortable for us, but if we get into the Hebrew language, I was much more convinced of the certainty of what it was that it was saying. 
He wants his wife. And there is an imperfect there that the way that he is saying these things, I am demanding my wife of Laban. Why? Because he wants to have physical intimacy with his wife. He desires to have physical intimacy. He is hoping at this point to, to, to receive the payment for his wages that of what he believes will be Rachel. And, and to this end, I believe that we're going to see three very specific pictures as we walk through our first truth here. Now, it's important as we look through these three pictures, there is a picture of God dealing with Jacob and receiving what he dealt to his brother. You're going to see that in verses 23 through 25. That's our first picture that I want to spend a little bit of time with. Now, here he is. He is married. He has participated in the first night's wedding feast. He's excited. His wife has now come to him. And we see these verses and we go, how on earth could this happen? If this was Lee Summit, Missouri, there is no way something like this would happen in 2023. You have lights, you have cameras, you have action. But remember our context of where it is that we find ourselves, that we are in Haran, which is a desert-like place, before our smartphones, before our candles, well, there were candles, but before our, our flashlights and, and, and the, the lights that we have here that uh, illuminate our chancel and illuminate our homes, this is a dark place. And Jacob has a passion and a desire for his wife in such a way that what we are seeing unfolding is very similar to what it is that he actually had happen with his father. Now his father, as we learned a few chapters ago, was, was blind and was getting up there in years, but in his blindness he was so ecstatic to bless his son. He believed Esau that he felt the arms and he smelled the smells and he goes, yep, good enough. I'm going to bless him. I'm going to do these things. Now our, our, our text today does not speak explicitly to some of what it is that some commentators would say of, of that that he was, he was drunk. I think that a, a seven-day wedding feast on day one, there's a possibility that he has consumed a lot and Laban maybe is encouraging him to have a little bit more. I'm about to do a dirty trick to you. But what we do see is it was absolutely dark. And if you go to someplace very dark, I actually did this this week that I went to our, one of our closets in our house, which was a little bit weird, and I hoped that my wife would not see me as I walked out. She did not. But I walked out of this pitch black closet and I stuck my hand in front of me. And if you go to a pitch black closet or a room in your house, I couldn't even see my fingers. And so here he was, and actually the things he's expecting to see and to feel in that culture would be that of a veil, that of, of, of his wife, and probably has some of Rachel's perfumes. It probably doesn't smell like Leah. And goes, yep, this is good enough. Let's consummate this marriage. So we see this picture that in his haste, in his desire... He is going to be dealt with by God in a loving way as a good father does, as a good parent does, despite his sin, despite the excitement and zeal that he is walking out by his hand. It's important, I think, for us to see after this first picture, a picture of the second thing that we see, and this actually shows up as a chiasm that walks through this, this passage here, that our second thing that we're going to see and walk through is that of Laban. Our second picture shows us that Laban is very self-seeking. So we have first somebody who is in their zealous zeal and, and, and is doing something by their own strength. Now we see somebody who is conniving and crafting and working this picture in such a way that he is going to get what he wants. He is going to get his due. 
And many commentators also spend a lot of time here, and they walk through this and say, well, what's actually going on, though, is Leah is a part of this. We need to, to, to dwell on Leah. And I think it's important for us to look at Leah, but we also need to remember the culture and the moment and the place in which they were living. That women were not treated with the status and place of, of much prominence here in this culture. That there was a picture going on, I believe, with Laban that he really viewed his daughter in such a way that she was property. That he viewed her in such a way that he could do with her what he so desired. In his self-seeking ways, he took advantage of some of his own daughter and some of what was going on for her. I believe that this is actually really shown to us. Richard Belcher of Reformed Theological Seminary goes so far and to say what's actually likely happening for Leah is that she's acting on behalf of the family name. She is doing what her father wants because she wants to uphold and protect the family. Now, does she want marriage? You better believe it. She absolutely wants marriage. She's wanted this for a while. She's wanted this for the entire seven years of this relationship between Jacob and her younger sister that have been unfolding. She's seen the love grow. I mean, it's been seven years. This is seven years of love and passion between two people. And now you are being interjected into this place a bit as a pawn the will of your father. Now, I really think the person we need to look at here is Laban and that of his self-seeking ways. But if we walk through this, and there's something that's important for us, as we look at these first two pictures, we're going to move back to Jacob. We're going to look at this third picture that we see here in verses 21 through 30 here in just a minute. Something's very powerful in these first verses. Now look with me at your Bibles and, and, and see, in verses 21 through 30, how much do you see these two men, and Leah as well, calling upon the name of the Lord? It's not there does not exist. These first ten verses, we do not see this picture portraying people calling out and serving their God rightly. Now, I do believe, as we talked about already in prior weeks, that Jacob has faith. He's at this point, and probably over the last seven years, as he's excited and thinking of his marriage and, un- and aware of what it is with the covenant blessings that he is about to receive as, as, as the, the heir of all that will come. It's been promised to his father. It's been promised to his mother. It was received in Genesis 28, a dream, as he was walking through. So these things are in his mind. I'm not saying he is not a man of faith. He is a man of faith. But each of us, in our faith, as we walk out as people of faith, we have doubts. We have hardship. We have dysfunction. This sounds in many ways much like the human experience. It sounds in many ways much like what each of us walk through in our lives with God. We experience and feel some of the weight of this difficult earth. Now our third picture, and I said this is back to Jacob. We're moving back to Jacob with our third picture here related to our first truth. There's a picture of what? Jacob has two wives here in verses uh, 26 and 27. And actually, more so than that, he's he's ultimately, we're going to find, having four partners. And we say, okay, well, that's a culturally different place. That's a different experience. That's a lived world. And some commentators would actually say, this is before the law has been given. And so this is something that we should look at and say, well, the law has not been given. That's coming in Exodus. And so there's different standards. I would reject that argument entirely. And there are a few commentators who do. I'm in the minority, I'm aware. So, so please do later go back and look at this and study. 
But I really do believe what we actually see here, it's important for us to look to that of Genesis 2. As we walk back and what is actually there for the people in Genesis 2, there's a promise that there is one man and one woman and that they are to be together, that you are to leave your, your father's house and cleave to your wife, not wives, not multiple, not your wife and, and, and all of her entourage, but wife. So as a man who over the last seven years, and as a man who grew up with Isaac and around Abraham, he would know the things of God, or he at least should know the things of God. So we walk through this now, and he has this picture of, of, of what has happened, that he gets two wives. He has this walking out, and really I believe it's important for us to see that there is something going on that he could have responded differently, that there is something that he could have done in this passage differently. Remember, he is the promised heir of the covenant. He is going to receive these things. He knows he's going to receive these things. God has visited him in a dream in chapter 28 and told him that you will receive these things. It's not going to be your brother. Even though you stole his birthright and blessing, it is you. So if we walk through this picture, he should even know that as he now has a wife, God is fulfilling his promises to him. God is giving him a wife here. Is it the wife that he wanted? No. Is it the wife that can fulfill the covenant blessings? Absolutely. It's the right line. It's the right family. It's not like his brother who went out and, and, and found himself with other women in other places from other nations. But there's something important for us to see here. He's now served seven years. He sees that God is providing for him a wife. Not the wife he expected. And there's deceit and trickery. Doesn't that sound a little bit like what he has done to his family? What goes around comes around, Jacob. That there's this trickery that is now going on with Laban, who is absolutely crafty, and is doing so in such a way that it is not good. There should not be this picture of, of, of multiple women entering into this picture with one man. We could absolutely see a better plan here. And we could see him coming and saying, even seven years before, instead of having to work for the bride that he thought he was going to get, if he would have shown who he was, if he would have said, I am the one who will receive the covenant promise of blessing, he could have gone back and had a God-glorifying life already prior to this. Instead, what does he do? I'm consumed with passion. I'm consumed with what I want. I'll work another seven years. I'm going to do this because this is what I want. My ways are what I desire. Now God is going to work in and through this dysfunction. I need you to hear that. Because we can all look at this and say, man, this is the, the formation of a dysfunctional family. And we're going to walk through that more in future weeks. But there is absolutely this picture that is going on that it is not healthy. We see this here, that there is something that is basically unfolding in such a way that none of us would desire. But I want you all to hear and see that even in dysfunction, God is absolutely being faithful and keeping His covenantal promises. Though there is sin, though there are consequences, He's got two wives, He's had to work another seven years, and actually he's going to work 20 years total for Laban. There are consequences that do unfold for those who love God. 
But how these things are used in our lives are really important for us to walk through and consider. We might find ourselves in this spot and saying, this has absolutely nothing to do with me. Well, I would beg to interject for a second because I believe this has everything to do with every one of us. First of all, there, there's a reality of sin here. So whether this sin feels, feels close to home or not, there's a reality that even in sin, the king is going to get what he has promised. The king is truly building his family. And so for those of you who are in Christ today, who believe in the finished work of what Christ has done and the power of his resurrection for your life, you're free. Actually, you are free much like Jacob is free, that he is trusting that there is a Savior who is coming for him. That same Savior who saved him is the same Savior that saves us today. We are free from the baggage and the hurts and the pains of this world. We might be people who are like Laban. In our self-seeking ways, we are actually hurting other people. Will God use it? Yes. Does God still love us? Yes. And actually we will see in these passages here of what is coming here in just a minute that though this threefold picture that we saw related to our first truth, there's a reality that is about to unfold even further of what is coming in the second half of our passage of this powerful understanding that though we feel the brokenness and the groaning and the weight of our sin in this passage and the weight of their sin in this passage, we're free. Truly free from the weight of sin's tyranny. It's the reality of that already but not yet that each of us experience and know but yet struggles with each and every day. Now I think it's important as we continue though, we're going to look at our second truth. And I've gotten into this just a little bit already, but this important truth found in verses 31 through 35 that God is going to build His people even in dysfunction. That God will build you and me and each of us while we are still sinning. Yeah, we see that in places like Romans 8. We see that in places like Romans 5. We see that all over the, the, the whole narrative of Scriptures. That God didn't come once we got things figured out. He came because we were broken, because we had dysfunction. And He loved us. What does verse 31 actually tell us here to this, to this point? When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, He opened her womb. And we look at this and we actually see something very powerful here in this passage because the, the ESV puts it in such a way where it says hated, which is a very incredibly strong word. The Hebrew has it a little bit softer and the NASB and a couple other versions do as well that it's uh, unloved. But it's not just uh, a lack of unlove. It, it, it's a strong disdain. There's a strong disdain that Leah is experiencing from her husband Jacob. That she's feeling the weight of the person that she wants most, desires most, is married to, she's desiring his love, his affection. But what's going on here? She's married. Her sister's in the picture. They're both married to the same man. And we actually walk through this in such a way that we continue to see this dysfunction and we see that though there is sin, there are multiple people in this picture, that one is loved and the other is, is hated or disliked strongly. We see that God is in this picture. God heard these things and He opened her womb. God heard her and saw where she was at. 
Now, there's been the seven years that we already spoke about just briefly coming up to this to get her to this point. And then there's now seven years that he still is going to work for her sister. But they're both married. And there's a slow and painful driving Leah away from herself, her desires, the things that she wants, to her God, to what it is that he has done, to what it is that is his standard. And actually we see that God has an incredible amount of pity in verse 31 in opening her womb, as it says there, that there's this picture that he does that is showing, I am your God, your husband is not, cannot, and will not satisfy you in the way that I do as your God. But we then see something that's incredibly powerful, and we're going to see that through each of her sons, through all of her four sons in this passage, in verses 32 through 35. There's something powerful that happens to Leah. God changes her heart's posture over the course of having four sons. God changes the posture of her heart as she is sitting there, and I'm sure day in and day out, weeping feeling unloved, feeling unnoticed. And the whole time God is there saying, hey, you see what I've done? In this context, in this world, having children is what gives you worth and defines. And especially we've seen in other passages like Genesis 16 uh, and, 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 and elsewhere that there's this picture that this really reminds us of that of what Sarah walked through as well. And so we see this in this, this picture that he's saying, I am with you. I am keeping the promises to you. I am working for my glory and your good. And oh yeah, I'm giving you sons. I'm giving you what you want. I'm giving you promises. But what is it that we see actually in these verses here in 32 through 35? We look at what the first son's name is. Verse 32 says it's this. Now Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. So what did she do? You see that right there? Look at that verse for a second. She acknowledged God. But then immediately her affections turns what? Now my husband will love me. So intermixed with her, her, her affection and seeing that God has blessed her, she still has a love for her husband. She still has this desire, though he is not there. She's receiving the blessing of children. She has love, though. Don't we see this? She has love from an eternal God. She has love from the same God who loved each and every one of you in this room enough to go to Calvary. There it is. It's trust. It's faith. But her hope still is mixed with earthly love. She's not getting it yet, and personally I believe these verses are important for us to walk out. These are some of the hardest verses I actually find in the book of Genesis. I actually was weeping over some of these passages and just feeling the weight of what this woman felt as I was reading through these passages and seeing her feeling of being unwanted and unloved. We see, though, that she then has what? A second son. What does she say? I'm going to call him Simeon. Simeon meaning what? God hears me. God hears her, it basically says right here. Because the Lord has heard that I am hated or that I am unloved, he's given me this son. She still is saying, I'm turning to God and seeing what it is that he has for me. I'm seeing that he has these things. But she's also speaking to the hatred of, not her God, 
but her husband. Oh man, the Lord is merciful and kind. He continues to work. After the second son, what is it that we then see? We see that she has a third. What is it she says there? And now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So Levi literally meaning that of attached or that of joining, that it is that it's saying that these are going to be joined together, that they're going to be pulled together, is this idea and this concept that she's saying, because there are now three sons, Jacob's going to love me. But in the midst of this, we even see in the posture that she continues to have this posture of being attached to God, that she is still calling out to him, though there is a bit of a tearing, though she is torn between her love for her husband and that of her God. Now it takes all the way until her fourth son. As we think about this, and we think about for those who have had children, you can't just have four sons in the matter of four weeks, right? And that's impossible. I guess you could have four born at once. But we look at this and we say, no, there's a reality that these are multiple births, and we actually aren't even told, and some commentators speculate as to whether there were, were girls born as well. Possibly. We don't know at this point, but we know that there are four sons who are being born. And so even if this is rapid fire, this is four years. Probably more like seven or eight years. But we see this and we look at this and we say, man, there's this picture that God is still in her life, is still working, has opened her womb, is giving her blessing. And she says, oh, yes. She then gets to her fourth son. And all of these have a word play and a picture that if you look at the Hebrew, it's really beautiful. And sometimes there's multiple pictures that we see for each of the, the names of her, her children. But we get to this last son. And again, she bore a son and said, this time, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah, and she ceased bearing. Now, as we look to that of Judah, we look to this name here, we look at this and we say, what, what is it that is happening? What is going on? Judah is that of praise. If you, have a, if you have a study Bible or something and they're in front of you, we look at this and we see that that's actually exactly what it means, that of praise. So this time, when we see the name of her child, she now has four children that remind her of her God's faithfulness. They have names that remind her of his faithfulness as well. And this fourth son, that of Judah. And she says, what? This time I will praise the Lord. This time I will praise the Lord. As we walk through this actually as well, we continue to see Rachel, though, was barren this whole time. So for those who have siblings in this room, I, I, I have multiple brothers and sisters, and, and there are many times that I was the favorite son. Uh, no, I was not. But we walk through this and we say there is a reality that there was a tension that went on in our family and the family dynamics of sibling rivalries and things of that nature. Well, and one of them are being blessed by the Lord, receiving children. And the other one, who deeply desires to have children and is loved more so by the husband, is not receiving those same blessings, is not receiving children yet at this point. As I said, then she ceased bearing. She is not totally done. We're actually going to see later on that she has other children. That is Leah having other children. But we see in this picture, this picture that is going on of two siblings that are fighting but one is receiving blessing and glory from God. Think about that as the verses prior, 21 through 30, as we said, there was no calling upon the name of the Lord. We saw Laban and Jacob, and, and they were essentially doing things on their terms. And instead, we see this picture of Leah, who, who's 
the first wife married, but functionally living as the unloved person in the house. And yet the Lord is having favor upon her. The Lord is blessing her. The Lord is building his people and he's fulfilling the covenant to Jacob. Through Leah, he's fulfilling this. And we're going to see it with the other women as well, that he now has, as we've already talked about, multiple women. We're going to see that coming in, in, in future verses. But she gets to this point that I think is very important for all of us to look at. Through bitterness and tears and frustrations, the Lord meets her in this place. And eventually, she says, I will praise the Lord. Therefore, I will praise the Lord. All right, so as we've walked through this passage this morning, I think it's important for us to take a little bit away and apply some of it to our own lives. Because as we've already said, it took Leah years to trust the Lord. It took Jacob years to trust the Lord. It's not immediate. It was not just a one-time thing that there was a moment of faith and then there was perfection on the other side. Wouldn't that be wonderful if each and every one of us in this room, once we by faith believe we just had it perfect on the other side, that we no longer dealt with the weight and the sin of our flesh that still vies for attention, that we have to crucify, that we have to take to his cross. But we see this, though, when we look at these covenants and blessings, and we see the covenants and blessings that are being promised are being received. So the promises and blessings that we as children of God are also received. Eternity is certain. Eternity is coming. His word tells us this truth. He tells us the reality of this. That despite and in and with our sin, there is an eternity that has already been purchased by our God. You might find yourself sitting here, and again, I think it's important for us to look and say, where are we feeling dysfunction in our own lives? This passage is absolutely a heavy passage. It's not easy for us to hear these things. But are we people who are like Laban or Jacob that we're trying to work harder? Are we people who are trying to do things for our own self-serving that we have greed or gain, that we are putting those before the wants and desires of his kingdom? Now, he will build his kingdom. He is building his kingdom. We see this here and we see that through Christ. We see that in our lives. This picture of the patriarchs is here not because of their perfection. This picture of the patriarchs that we've been walking through all over Genesis is a picture of their messiness. We should find hope. We should find joy. Not because they're messy, not because we say, hey, I want to be just like Jacob. No, no, no. Our hope is that we become more like God. Our joy and my encouragement for you today is to look at this and say, look at what God has done, that you are free to love Him and trust in the saving work that He has already accomplished for you. That you are free to trust in that finished work and say, I'm actually already free. I now get to walk out of that dysfunction. And there may be, dis may be consequences for decisions and things that we have walked out in our lives. But what does it say? Just like this passage, God is faithful to Jacob despite the fact that he now has four wives, despite the fact that he had to work for years for Laban, his father-in-law. Twenty of them. A lot of years of humility. A lot of years of sanctification. 
So I encourage you today, consider His mercy that He has given to you and start walking in the reality of sanctification. Start walking in the reality of growth as Christians. Start saying, yes, I know that there is sin. And when there are things that are confronting our lives each and every day, we have one of two responses. And there are two responses that we will walk through with sin. That we'll say, God could not do this to me. God would not do this to me. I'm going to walk away from that God. Please don't do that. Please consider that you have a loving Father who is actually in His divine parenting coming into your world and coming into your life and in His kindness and mercy saying, I want you to look like my son. I want you to look like Jesus. I desire for you to grow in the things that I have for you. Yes, there may be consequences. And you may say, some of these things I'm getting because what goes around comes around. And I'm deserving of these things. But look past that to your king. Look past that to the one who lived and died and rose again. And may you find yourself in your growing life with the Lord being like Leah when she has her fourth child. Saying, in this moment, God, this time I will praise the Lord. So whatever dysfunction you have today, this time may we praise the Lord. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, Would you come and comfort us today, not because we have earned it, but because we are people desperately in need of the comfort of the only God who is consistent despite our inconsistencies. Father, thank you for making us righteous like our forefathers and the Hebrews remind us. We are a growing people. Would you be a parent who grows us and sanctifies us? And may we praise you. So wherever we are at today, thank you for being the Father that we need. You're not always the Father that we want, but you are what we need. So help us in our weakness and always point us to our Savior, Jesus. It is in his holy and perfect name that we pray. Amen.